You're listening to Blaze, the go-to podcast for trailblazing entrepreneurs and anyone passionate about doing business differently. My name is Megan, and together with my guests, I'm pulling back the curtain to bring you the conversations that normally happen behind closed doors. We're sharing practical tips, no BS advice, and inspiring stories to remind you that no matter where you are on your business journey, you're not in this alone. Welcome to our community. Welcome to the Blaze Podcast. Hello, welcome back to the show. Welcome to our very first episode of 2024. I cannot think of a better way to kick off the new year than with today's conversation. We have a special two-part episode series with financial coach Gina Knox, who is going to be teaching us all about everyone's favorite subject, money. And we're just going to get into literally all of the things, mindset, tactics, investing, all of it. And it's a super accessible, jargon-free conversation. So even if you're coming into this with zero background, you have no cash flow system in your business, you aren't sure how to save for taxes or how much to pay yourself, we're going to cover all of that in today's conversation. Gina is the founder of Gina Knox Coaching, where she provides entrepreneurs with the skills they need to manage cash flow, save 100k, and build seven-figure wealth. If you clicked on this episode, chances are you have some type of goal for this year to save more money or make more money, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So Gina saved her first 100k by age 25, and in just three years, she's helped her clients save over six million dollars. She's helped multiple entrepreneurs buy the home of their dreams, set up trust funds for their kids and build multi-million dollar portfolios that will create generational wealth for themselves and their families. And today she's breaking down exactly how she does it in her own life and business and with her clients as well. And if you could see me when we were having this conversation, I was literally like a human version of the mind blown emoji throughout this entire conversation because Gina's cash flow system and her financial setup is just so smart and it's really different from any other business finance system that I personally have heard before. So I'm super excited for you to hear it as well. But like I said, we had so much good stuff to cover that this actually turned into a two-part episode. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please hit subscribe and make sure you stick around because next week, the second half of this conversation is going to drop and we are talking all about how to build long-term wealth. So that episode is super juicy as well. So subscribe so that you don't miss it and you get notified when that drops next week. Okay, now without further ado, let's dive in. Gina, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to chat with you. Likewise. So we have so much good stuff to cover today, but I want to start with a bit of background on you and your story and how you ended up in the finance world. Oh my gosh. It's a bit of a circuitous journey. Um, So I actually went to art school. I'm an art school grad. I was in the design world in Silicon Valley for seven years, and I always had a passion for finance and money. Uh, I remember my very, very first manager when I was an intern at a tech company was like, Gina, what do you want to do? Like, what's your career aspirations? And I was like, I think I want to work in fintech. So like financial technology, because I've always had an interest in money. And so I heavily pursued that. I had a five-year-long career at Intuit. I was a design researcher at QuickBooks. So small business accounting software. And it kind of like it's always been a through line in my career to be interested in money and finance. But I remember um, some of my friends from Intuit and I, we would have like 
wine and budgeting nights. And we would talk about our stock options and our 401ks and what's the tax implication of this and what's the tax implication of that. Just typical girls night. (laughs) I know, literally. (laughs) And I was always the nerd who was like, okay, if you do this, then this, then this, then this is how the taxes will be. And my every like four, four or five months, my friends would be like, can you explain that again? And eventually I was feeling a I don't know. I just was in a rut. It was a really great job. Like there was nothing really wrong with the job, but I was like, is this really going to be my career for the rest of my life? And a friend had mentioned financial coaching. And I was like, what's that? I don't even, I didn't even know what the coaching industry was. And then we just started and it kind of grew from there. Two years, two, three years later, I quit my job and I have been a financial coach ever since. So it's been kind of, like I said, a circuitous journey to get here, but it's always been a through line in in my career. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's so funny, you know, you can see that looking back, but in the moment you probably had no idea that's where it was going to take you, where you'd end yeah. up. So that's a big jump, though, to take from, you know, very secure, great job working at Intuit, you know, full-time salary into entrepreneurship. So how did you bridge that gap? Did you leap like all in right away? Did you kind of do the side no. hustle thing for a while? Yes. Um, Well, so the irony of it all is as a design researcher for QuickBooks, my job, my full-time job was to interview small business owners, accountants, and CFOs about finance and money and all the stuff. And I always say like it, like it was nearly impossible not to get inspired because all day long, I'm just talking to really cool people. And at a certain point you get this little thought of like, I could do that, right? Like I could do that. And yes, like the job is cushy and there is really good salary, really good benefits. Like it was a phenomenal, I always say if I went back to corporate, I would go back to Intuit. There's no other job I would want, but that little bug in your ear of like, but you could do something for yourself. So I started one-on-one coaching with just some friends and, um, and then that was about 2019, 2020 pandemic happened we're all working from home. So now I have a lot more time to focus on the business because I was commuting 104 miles a day. So it was about three to four hours of commuting a day that I got back that I didn't have to do anymore. So I started really working on the business in 2020, but I didn't quit until 2022. I quit at the end of 2021. My last day in the office was like January 7th, 2022. So I got a little week in. (laughs) So I definitely like built it up over the course of two years on the side, which I'm really thankful for because because I was forced to build the business on part-time hours, it was always quite um, time efficient because it had to be. So I didn't like totally expand my time once I went full-time. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I think that that's personally what happened to me. I leaped a little naively into into full-time right away. And it definitely, the scope creep of work, but when you are, you know, working within restricted hours, it forces you to, like you said, be really efficient, be really strategic and intentional with your time. So that's great. You definitely gave yourself a good runway there, you know, building up for that period. So I want to talk about how are you managing cash flow through that time? You know, when do you start paying yourself? Like, let's just, let's just get into it. Let's. Okay. So 
There's so much here. (laughs) And I love, because like, this is what I coach my clients on all the time, but I'll talk about my story and then I can talk about general cash flow stuff in general. But um, I remember at the beginning, the first year, it was messy. It I I knew from the jump, like have separate bank accounts, Gina, because I had seen so much working at QuickBooks, like at the very least have separate bank accounts and do record keeping, right? Have bookkeeping, categorize your expenses every month so it doesn't pile up at the end of the year. So I was doing that, but that first year, I mean, I think I didn't have a four figure month until like June or July. So I was making like $500, $800, $200. Like it was such a low dollar amount and it didn't need to pay me because I had the full-time job that I was just reinvesting everything into the business. And I think that that's very common, um, at least for, actually, I think that's pretty common for all businesses. (laughs) I'm not, I'm pretty sure it's all businesses do that. And so I got to the end of the first year and I didn't make any profit. I had made $28,000 reinvested more than that. I think I'd reinvested some of my own money. Um, and that was fine. And then 2021, I was like, okay, I have, I made $28,000 last year. Like that is so cool. I remember like sitting down in like January being like, that's a substantial amount of money for a side hustle. Like that is money I created out of thin air, but I didn't, I didn't see any of it. I didn't get any of it. And so I remember 2021, I was like, okay, I want some of the money. (laughs) Like I'm doing all this work. I better be compensated for it. So I started by paying myself $500 a month. And this is what I highly recommend my clients do is start with a low dollar amount that you can do now because you want to build the, just the habit of paying yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not actually about the dollar amount. It's about the habit. Because what happens is if you're like, well, I'm going to start paying myself when I make $50,000 a year or when I make $100,000 a year, you will wait, then you'll get to $100,000 a year, but you won't have the budget left because you'll, you'll continue spending it all. You don't have the habit built in. So I started with 500 and then I slowly worked my way up over the course of six months to about 2000 by about June of 2021. And it's important to note January to June of 2021, I only made about 30 K. I also had a baby and I took like lots of time off. My dad passed away bereavement time. Like it was a heavy family time. So I made about 30 K from January to June of 2021 from June to December of 2021. I made an additional 85 K. So all my revenue came at the end of the, of the year. But by June, I was paying myself 2K a month. By October, I bumped that up to 4K. By December, I was like, this is enough to live off of. I submitted my notice. And by January of the next year, I had offboarded from my job. So I really think that like, when it comes to cash flow management and owner's pay specifically, my my always advice is like starting small with what you can to build the habit. And as your business scales scale your owner's pay with it. And it's easy. Like, how do I say this? It's easy to quit your job when you have proven to yourself that you can pay yourself a living wage for multiple months in a row. Yes. It's like a proof point. And it's like almost, I also had savings. Of course I had personal savings on top of that, but it was just this proof point of like, okay, this has been like three months of me paying myself 4k. 
I can do, I don't like, it's definitely less than my job was at the time with benefits and 401k and all of the health insurance and everything, but it was enough. So I'm like, I think I'm ready. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're also building your confidence. You know, the more you go, the more you are able to make and to pay yourself consistently. You're like, yes, I can do this. There's proof of concept there. And you were so thoughtful and strategic about it. I think what I did was a lesson in like what not to do, which was, you know, no. jump in <laughs> with no plan and figure it out on the fly. But I think you are probably a rarity. I've heard from a lot of people that have a similar story to mine and you just figure it out as you go. But, you know, an ideal yeah. scenario, yes, 100%. <laughs> Listen and to I think it's like, it's because like I've worked at QuickBooks five for five years. I've seen at that point I had interviewed 400 business owners. I saw you knew what, what not to do. To, yeah. I had, I had an advantage, right? <laughs> yeah. I had an advantage in that. Like I'd seen a ton of what not to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is ideal. If anyone's listening to this and does still happen to be in that, you know, side hustle phase or scaling phase, that is a, a great plan to, you know, confidently build up that income first and scale it from there. So I think the biggest roadblock for people when, you know, they get into the habit of paying themselves regularly or when they hear that they should be doing that, the question is, well, how much? Like, how much do I pay myself? How do I know what sort of salary I should be taking? Because we also want to reinvest in the business, like you said. So mm -hmm. how do you find that perfect fit number? Yeah. So there's, I've been thinking a lot about this recently. It's like, this is more for full-time folks. Mm -hmm but we can adjust it for people who are side hustling. For full-time folks, there's this balance between paying yourself too little puts pressure on, puts adds pressure, financial pressure. Because if you're barely paying your bills, you're gonna be stressed in your personal life and your personal bills, and that's gonna add pressure to the business. And we don't wanna add pressure to the business. Paying yourself too much is gonna add pressure to the business because now the business needs to keep up with the demands of your salary, even if it's like, and that's why I'm saying too much as a vague term, because it's dependent on, you know, you and your business. So we need to kind of find a sweet spot where you're paying yourself enough that you're not putting pressure on your personal finances, but you're also not paying yourself too much that you're adding pressure to the business to perform every month because my philosophy, oh, and I didn't even say this, well, I guess I kind of implied it. My philosophy is that you should pay yourself the same amount of money every month, no matter what. A lot of small business owners That's pay themselves. Different. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them pay themselves different amounts of money every single month. And I hate that. A lot of people will pay like themselves like 50% of sales. And I'm like, why would you do that? Because you know, there's going to be months where your sales are sky high and then you feel amazing because you got to pay yourself 50% of that. But there's also going to be months where your sales are like zero. So what you're going to pay yourself zero? Are you going to tell zero. your landlord, hey, zero. and then you're going to have to dip into your personal savings to pay your rent or your mortgage. And it's just, why would you put yourself on the roller coaster that you're like the business cash flow will always be up and down. That will always be a roller coaster. Why would you transfer that roller coaster to your personal life as well oh when gosh, you don't yeah. have to? I just want to, yeah, I just want to pause here for a second and we will keep going because I yeah. want to hear, you know, how you find that number and everything and I yeah. don't want to distract from that. But I just want to say in the interest of full transparency, I just started paying myself the same. I was that person. Yeah. I was doing the 50% thing. I'd heard that's what you were supposed to do, like find the percentage and then like that was what I'd read, you know, the, the profit first methodology follows that. I was sort of using that system and I was paying myself a percentage and I was like, this feels terrible because it's so stressful, like you said. And I was building like, you know, I had savings in my business 
business account. So if it was a low income month, I could, you know, kind of make up the difference. But I just have to say, like, you know, paying yourself that regular salary, it it'll change your life if you're not already doing that. So it really will. And it's so much more intentional. It's not like I see a lot of business owners who are like, how do you pay them? How do you pay yourself? And they're like, well, when rent is due, I transfer money and I go and then I pay it. And I'm like, so you're oh, just that like stresses me out. Yeah. randomly moving money. I'm like, pick an amount, pick a schedule and do it. And here's, I mean, like how you do it is actually, you kind of touched on it just now. I I'm constantly building up my business savings and I'm constantly using them. I actually don't call my business savings savings. I call it working capital and I have my clients call it working capital because it's supposed to be working for you. So if you have a low cash month, which is absolutely normal, then you're still going to pay yourself by using your working capital. If you have a high cash month, way higher than you anticipated, you're still going to pay yourself and you're going to put the extra back into working capital and fill it back up for the next time. Because I think the biggest misconception, especially going back to like side hustlers and early, you know, people who are early on in their businesses, I think the biggest misconception is, oh, my income is my sales are really inconsistent now, but later it will get more consistent. And so mm. when it is more consistent, then I'll be able to pay myself consistently. Can we debunk that myth right now? Newsflash. <laughs> no, as you scale, your inconsistency gets worse, not better. My income is 10 times more inconsistent than it ever was. And that's not a problem. That's a fact of business. I've spoken with over 400 businesses in my time at QuickBooks. I've worked with hundreds of businesses in my um, programs. Nobody has consistent income. Nobody. So it's like, stop waiting on that because you'll be waiting forever. Yeah. And no one tells you that. Thank you for, you know, for saying that because I think that is true. I think a lot of people are waiting. They're like, well, I'm just going to, I think the consistent 5K, 10K, 20K, whatever it is, people are waiting till they're like, well, when I have consistent, let's say 5K, if you're in the earlier stages, consistent 5K months is like the thing. It's like the goal people are waiting for. And it's like, that may never happen. You could be making tons of revenue monthly and then just randomly have a month that dips below whatever level you were arbitrarily waiting for. And no one tells you that. And it's also highly dependent on your business model. It's like, okay, if you are, uh, I think maybe the only, probably the most consistent business model is like real estate. If you're renting out property, but even then you're going to have tenants who leave, you're going to have months where you have no income, you have tenants who don't pay. Like it's still going to be inconsistent, but I mean, my business model, I run on a launch based model. So I launch five times a year. So five times a year, I have really high cash months and then I'll have like much, much lower cash months. I mean, I am a 500K a year business and by January, my monthly recurring revenue goes down to like six or 4K and that's normal and it's not a problem and it's all fine. And it's like, yeah, what, where are you waiting? And to your point, because nobody tells you this, where are you shaming yourself for having inconsistency because you think other people Ooh, don't? Yeah. That yes. is a problem. <laughs> yes. I am so good. I'm so glad we landed on this topic and are talking about this because like you said, I think no one else is talking about it. And then it gets it. You're internally shaming yourself for it. Like you said. So yeah, let's, okay. Let's bring it back to the, yeah. the owner's capital. What does this look like in practice? Like building up that income? Is this like a savings account that you have like you know, jointly attached to your business 
checking account? Like, how does this work? So the working capital fund, I have a three bank account system that I teach my clients. I have a checking account where everything goes in and out. So all the Stripe payments come in there. I use Stripe. And then every time I pay everything out, it goes out of there. Attached to that at the same bank, I have a working capital fund, which is just a savings account, but I call it working capital. <laughs> it feels fancier. It does. It does. And it feels like it gives me the permission to spend it. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. When I, I noticed with my clients, a lot of them were not giving themselves the permission to spend their savings. So they were like, I can't spend my savings. I just have to earn more. And then they would put a ton of pressure on their sales yeah. and then it would result in less sales. So I'm like, all you have to do is spend your savings. It's fine. So working capital. And then the third account is tax savings. In practice, how I run this, and I teach this process in my 12-month um, group program, Six Figure Saver, we pick a dollar amount that you're going to leave in your checking at any given moment. This is called your buffer. What's your buffer? And your buffer is going to depend on a couple different things. There's two methods for how to pick a buffer. I won't go into all of the specifics, but you're going to pick a dollar amount that you're going to leave in your checking at any given moment. Let's say it's $5,000. Now we have a number. And then it's just a simple, if this, then that statement, which is like a very engineering term. But if this, then that says, if checking is over $5,000, then move remainder to working capital. That's it. So I log into my bank account a couple times a week and I follow my, if this, then that statement. And as I'm doing that, my working capital is building up. And then if I need it, I use it. And then I keep following the rule. I also have a, what we call a trigger number. So like if checking is less than a certain dollar amount, move money back into the checking. So we don't overdraft. And that usually has mm. to do with like, um, what is your highest automated payment? We want, we want to make sure you don't overdraft, but it really is just a set of bank rules. Like pick a dollar amount that you'll leave in your checking and never have more than that in your checking. Cause what I notice is people just like let their checkings keep growing forever, which is not a problem, except for when I ask them, hey, what's that money for? They can't answer it. They're like, I don't know. Like, I think I have this payment going out and I think I need it and I can't move it because I think I need this. And it, when we move stuff into working capital and taxes and then leave checking, checking, it helps you know what cash is safe to spend. Like we know your taxes are, it's not that it's not safe to spend. I've spent my tax savings before and refunded myself, but taxes are like the last resort because we want to make sure that you're saving up across the year for your taxes. Working capital is always safe to spend and your checking is always safe to spend down to your trigger number um, so that you don't overdraft. And it's just so much like simpler. Yeah, it really is. It's very streamlined. It's a, it's a very smart system and it's different from anything I've personally heard before in all the different business finance books. So I love this idea. What about the other two accounts for, you know, saving for taxes yeah. and then, you know, withdrawing your, your owner's pay or your salary from the working capital? Yeah. Owner's pay just lives in working capital. Working capital is your workforce. Yeah. It's everything. Taxes, um, the way we do it is at the end of the month, when you reconcile your books, or if you have a bookkeeper, when your bookkeeper sends you your PL, we um, do a calculation to determine how much you need to move to your tax savings account at the end of the month. So what you're going to do, because a lot of people don't realize this, this is like good. I'm remembering to say all the things that I think everyone just knows. <laughs> a lot of people think, and a lot of people save for taxes by saying 20% of my sales will go to my tax savings account. 
that is over saving for taxes, like cut and dry, because at least in the US, and I'm pretty sure in Canada, even though we have slightly separate rules, but the principles still apply, you are not taxed on your sales. You're taxed on your profit. So if I made a $5,000 sale, but then I turned around and I spent $2,000 on a software, I'm not taxed on $5,000. I'm taxed on $3,000 because the $5,000 minus the deductible expenses equals my profit. That's what I'm taxed on. So when you're saving 20% of sales, you're over saving, which isn't a problem. It's good to be conservative. So you have the cash to pay for your taxes at the end of the year, but you could be utilizing that money better. You could be using that money yeah, to reinvest into your business or to hire a team member or any number of things. So at the end of the month, we look at your profit and we multiply that by your tax bracket, whatever that is. Um, so I will take, let's say like the $3,000 profit and multiply it by 30%. Uh Oh, I'm going to do that math real quick. Cause I want to know. <laughs> so 3000 times 0.3 is $900. Great. Now I know I need to put $900 in my tax savings account. And usually what I will do is I will fund that from my working capital. So I'll move working capital money to my tax savings at the end of the month. Um, I just did this and it totally demolished my working capital. <laughs> I had like last month, I think I had to put moves like 15 grand and I'm like, oh, there goes all my working capital. Okay. It's always painful. Right, but it's like good yeah. to know because now I, my tax savings. Better do it now. Yeah. It's like, it's yes. good to know that my working capital, what I thought it was, is actually a bit smaller. So now I'm going to, you know, make spending decisions and earning decisions accordingly. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's how we fund tax savings at the end of the month. We just do it once a month. We don't do it every sale because it's too much. It is like a lot. The other <laughs> thing about this system. And the other thing that I want to share with you guys all is as much as possible, we want your money and your financial systems to take the least amount of time as possible. Yes. Right. <laughs> Like I, at a 500 K a year business that I still do my own bookkeeping. I don't have a bookkeeper. I don't spend more than 30 minutes a month on this. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't be spending hours. It's not worth it. Yeah. It's sucking up your time and your time is a precious resource. Exactly. Yeah. And it's such a good point that you touched on. I also love this system. This is also totally different. So I'm so glad. Thank you for breaking this down for everyone because that took me a while to understand my own business too, that you're being taxed on profit and not revenue. And I was definitely the person, you know, last year, the year before, like over saving for taxes. So I just had this fear that like the CRA was, was going to yes. come for me. And I was like, it's better to have more than enough. And, but like you said, you could be putting that money towards something else. And yeah, it's really smart to just wait, look at what your profit is, then put aside the tax money. Yeah. And when you're building up your working capital every week, all the time, when that is your constant habit, you will always have the money to yeah. move it to tax savings. Yeah, exactly. It's that peace of mind too, you know, to have that account and to have that working capital amount. So, you know, and then withdrawing, you know, owner's fair salary from that, is there, do you have a formula for that as well? It's real basic. I pay myself twice a month on the 15th and the 30th. And I, um, if I, don't have enough in my buffer in my checking. I'll move some extra money from working capital. Normally my buffer is big enough that I have enough and then I just pay it and then I move on. <laughs> Keep it simple. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Now I have, I should say my, the way my business is structured right now, it's going to change next year is I'm just doing distributions, which means I just transfer money from my business bank account to my personal bank account. And I tag that in my bookkeeping. Some people will be running payroll on themselves, right? So yeah. they'll be 
running payroll and then it's automated and the software is pulling the money out and then doing payroll tax calculations and then all that whole thing. But the same thing applies. It's going to just pull from your checking. But if you don't have enough in your checking, you're going to move money from your working capital and then that's it. Yeah, for sure. And then what about finding that, you know, the sweet spot we talked about earlier? Is there like a sad way to do that? Or is it more kind of trial and error? Like, oh, I'm paying myself too much. There's pressure on the business. Oh, now I'm paying myself. Not enough. Well, <laughs> it, yeah, it's interesting. It is a bit of like an art and a science. I think that there is a level of looking at what has been your average cash in over the last 12 months. Or if you've gone through a period of, of growth, maybe the last six months, if you want to like not include some of the older months, what is your general average cash in? What is your general fixed monthly expenses, right? Now we have a sense of like, of that profit that's left, what is the general profit you have left? And that's like a good starting point, right? Because if your average cash in is $5,000 and your average cash out just to run the business is 4,000, we're not going to give you a $10,000 owner's pay or, <laughs> yeah. or even a $5,000 owner's pay. You can't afford on paper. You can't afford a $5,000 owner's pay if you only have $1,000 of profit. So we're going to use that as a guidepost, but also we're going to still look at your expenses and scrutinize them and say, is this expense more important than your owner's pay? Right? Yeah. Like sometimes such a good point. It's easy to bloat our expenses and especially like with software or recurring things, just keep adding them to the list and then not ever really look at them again. So it does bear some like examination of your expenses. Yeah. And the other part of this equation is income, right? Are you like, what is your trajectory for increasing your income? And as you increase your income, what is your profit going to look like? So it's a bit of a little, it's a dance. I will say that there's something kind of, like magical also about deciding. Like I'm going to decide that this is my owner's pay and then I'm going to make it work. So like looking at the numbers, but also deciding this happened to me. My owner's pay has been about 7k for over a year. And in February of this year, I was like, okay, my goal is to get to 10k by the end of the year. So maybe by November, I'll be able to pay myself 10k, which is just a 3k a month owner's pay increase. And I kept telling myself that over and over again. And then I caught myself and I was like, oh my God, I'm doing what my clients do, which is they set a goal that is vague and they put it in the future and they never actually quantify whether they can do it now or not. So it's like, okay, wait, let me sit down. Let me look at my budget. Let me look at my income. Let me see if I wrote 10K in the budget item for my owner's pay instead of seven, how negative would I be, right? How negative would I be? Mm -hmm. I was only negative by a thousand dollars. And I was like, oh, I can make that up. That's so doable. I could go yeah. make an extra thousand dollars and afford my owner's pay at 10K now. So I gave myself a raise because I also like, there is something, like I said, special about deciding I'm going to try and make this work. And it's like deciding and also letting yourself if it doesn't work out for any reason, like giving yourself a pay decrease without it being a big deal, without it meaning anything about you, without it being an ego death, without it being this whole big deal. Like if it doesn't work, it's okay to give yourself a decrease. I have done that. I have given myself decreases when I went a little too high. It's like, okay, reel it back. This was not the right decision. So it's like a both and decide and know that you can adjust it and change it to find your sweet spot over time. 
Yeah, I love those two sides of it because it is such a, there's something so empowering about being like, I'm going to give myself a raise. But on the flip side, it is okay. Like you said, you are just a trial and error. There's a bit of experimentation there. So there's no shame in, like you said, going back and decreasing it after. And if you want to like soft launch it, you could say, well, I'm going to give myself a bonus for this month. Mm. Yes. And then maybe next month too. And then if you're doing bonuses for like four or three, three, four months in a row, okay. And you're probably fine. <laughs> maybe this is just my raise. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love that approach to it. So I want to talk about saving now and how to kind of build up those business savings, the personal savings. And that's sort of your, your signature program, you know, the six figure saver. So let's talk about saving a hundred K cash in 12 months. It's really as basic as what I just told you. We pick a dollar amount to leave in your checking and constantly move money to savings. Now that's like on paper, the easy part. In reality, the hard part is all of our brains drama that we bring. Money has a special way of finding your buttons and pushing them. And what that can do is lots and lots of different things, which is where coaching comes into place. So I'll give you an example of a client. She was doing so well. She had submitted about $40,000 of savings wins. The way we operate in Six Figure Saver is when, whenever you move money to savings, you submit it and it goes to our tracker and we count it as a win because we want to, we want to celebrate the act of saving, not necessarily the dollar amount at any given moment because the dollar amount's constantly changing. So she'd submitted about $40,000 of savings wins. Amazing. And then she was talking to a friend who was a CFO who got a little bug in her ear and was like, oh, you know what you should do? You should do these percentages. So then she started, she was like, oh, okay. And she opened up some extra accounts and she started kind of trying to do the percentages. And then she came to us and she said, hey, so I got this advice to do these percentages. How do I make it work with this, that, and the other? And we were like, it's interesting. This is always what happens is something is working. And then we want to mess with it. Yeah. And then we think, oh, I this can't be it. It can't be this easy. In order to get to 100K, I must have to do something different. The CFO, and it was like a friend, right? So like someone she trusts and she likes. Well, let me try their thing. And then she stopped submitting savings wins. She stopped saving. And then we had to like reel her back in and be like, notice how your brain said, I've had so much success. It can't be this easy. Let me try something else. And then it stopped working. So we, we brought her back. So it's like, in order to save hundred K in 12 months, you have to set up the system. You have to have a checking, a working capital tax savings. You have to have your buffer and we call it a cash flow waterfall. Cause that's how I envision it in my mind. I'm like, I love the visual. water yeah. is coming into your checking account. That's your first bucket. Once that's full, it overflows into the next bucket and then it overflows. So we're doing your waterfall. You have to set that up and then you just have to stick with it. And that is actually the, interestingly, like the hardest part is we get it and it's so easy. It's actually like, I, sometimes I think about this and I'm like, this is so stupidly easy. It's like, it, sometimes I think that I'm like, is it really this easy? <laughs> Meanwhile, my clients have saved nearly $6 million using the system. So I'm like, yes, it really is that easy, but, but it's about keeping up with it. And then there are like all of the edge cases that you have to learn how to manage, right? Okay, Gina, how can I do the waterfall if I put all my expenses on a credit card? What if I have a maxed out credit card? 
What if I need to hire someone else? What if I do a big pay in full for a mastermind? What if I da, 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 what if my taxes are late? What if this, what if that? So there's all of the edge cases that come up and really all it is, is coming back to, it doesn't matter the edge case, keep following the waterfall, keep following the waterfall and like <laughs> continuously coming back to it. I mean, I am, I'm probably checking my bank account, my business bank account two times a week. And then I just, I follow it and it's how I've saved over a hundred K and know that the hundred K balance itself, like seeing current balance, $100,000 is going to be contextual to your revenue level, to your income level. And it's really not about that. Like the hundred K is exciting, but really only a business of, I would say like half a million to 2 million needs a hundred K cash in their accounts at any given moment. If you're only making 80 K, you don't necessarily, if you're holding onto hundred K, you're probably not utilizing your cash properly. So also knowing that like your business level will find its sweet spot for how much cash you need to have. I recommend at minimum one month's business expenses, but I also don't recommend more than like four months business expenses. I'm like, that's too much cash. You're not using, you need to use it. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I think you hear three to six months, um, you know, sort of, and that comes from, I think like the personal yeah. finance world, like, you know, in your personal accounts, that's different. Yeah, it you is know, different. If you need, you need emergency savings for like your just living expenses outside of your business. That's a different realm. But I think we kind of take that traditional wisdom and apply it to our businesses. And we're like, oh my God, what if? No, we do. And this is also why people freak out about spending their savings. Cause the traditional wisdom is don't spend your savings. I'm like, no, that's wrong businesses spend money to make money. So if you stop spending money, yeah. you will cut yourself off at the knees. So true. That's like, that makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> the same thing goes with debt. The personal finance wisdom is don't get into debt because usually consumer debt is associated with just buying things, right? But in business, debt is a normal part of the process. Almost every single business encounters debt at some point or the other. And that's not a personal failing. That's not a moral failing. That's not, that doesn't mean your business is going out of business. That's actually incredibly normal. So it's like, stop taking personal finance advice and applying it to your business. It's a totally different way of thinking about using money. Yeah. And I think just stop making your business finances personal in general. Like you yeah. know, where, where it doesn't mean something about you as a person, you know, yeah. what your business is doing. So that's really solid advice. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, hearing about your own business and your clients and all these ways that our brains just kind of like self-sabotage. We're like, oh, it's too easy. Like we're looking to poke holes in something that's working. So what are like some of the other common, you know, mindset blocks or things that just trip people up when they're getting started with the system? I mean, I think debt is a big one just in general. I mean, I spend the majority of my time coaching on debt and thoughts about debt and just this idea that like, I want to pay off debt as quickly as possible is shooting you in the foot also. It's um, because it's now the focus is all on your debt instead of the focus being on something more important. Yeah. And it can add a ton of pressure. What else? I will say like the, like I said, the idea of not wanting to spend your savings. I would also say that this is, is this one's a little more nuanced, but it's interesting to talk about. A lot of people have money identities that they're very, very attached to. So um, I'm impulsive. I'm an emotional spender. I'm bad with money. I can't budget. I hate restriction. I don't want savings. I want, like, I love spending. 
all of these identities, these I statements, I am, I have, like, it really is I am. And when you're so attached to those identity statements, all you do is you act them out in the real world. You just play them out like a play versus really questioning how is my money identity impacting how I'm behaving financially? And if it's not creating the result I want, I need to change my identity. Yeah. Yes, we need to set up your systems. If you're a side hustler, get your money out of your personal finances. Dear God, open up a business bank account. <laughs> like, yes, all the systems matter, but if your core identity hasn't changed, you're still going to fall back into those old patterns. Yeah. I think one of my favorite versions of this is I had a client who was very attached to I'm a spender and I love spending. And for her specifically, she grew up really, she grew up poor. She had a teen mom, like the whole thing. And she was like, spending is a version. It's like healing for me because I didn't get to spend before. Right. And there was so much, so much restriction growing up. So spending is a form of healing for me. And so she was so focused on that. And I remember one time she had a big, big expensive month. She had a hundred K expense month where with her team, with her tax bill, with some other things going on, she knew hundred K was going to leave her account. And she told me after the fact, I was like, why didn't you tell me this before? She told me after the fact that she had like done it and like spent the hundred K and she's like, see Gina, I'm a spender. I'm a spender. I can't keep money. I'm a spender. I'm like, no, you saved hundred K. Cause she had the money to spend that much in order to yeah. spend hundred K. Right. In order to spend it, you had to have saved it. And there's a difference between saving and keeping. You actually have the identity of being a saver. You just don't have the identity of being like a keeper. You have the identity of being a spender. And so we don't have like, that's the part we need to work on. And she's like, oh my God, you're right. I am a really good saver. Like when I have something to save for, I always hit it. And it's like, now we just need to bring that over into other aspects, right? Like if you're only saving for a specific reason, let's just start saving all the time for no reason. And then you'll always have savings. <laughs> and so I will say like the identity piece is huge. It's really huge and it's sneaky. And as an individual, and I have this with my own stuff outside of money, it's hard to identify it for yourself. Yeah. It's hard to like know you're doing it. I'll give an example. I have the identity of being a sweet tooth. Me too. I'm a sweet tooth. <laughs> That's who I am. I'm a sweet tooth. I, I can't lose weight because I'm a sweet tooth. And it's like, but notice how you're so attached to that identity. And that's just playing out over and over and over again, where it's like, what are what do you mean you're a sweet tooth? There's no medical condition <laughs> called sweet tooth. <laughs> if there is, I have it too. And to me, like I thought before my coach pointed that out to me, I'm like, this is a circumstance. This is just something about me, nothing I can change versus actually, this is just a thought yeah. I'm saying over and over and over again. And then I'm playing out. So the same thing, if it's like, I'm an emotional spender, that's not a circumstance. Yeah. That's not a medical diagnosis. And this happens with my clients who have ADHD because impulse spending is highly correlated with ADHD. And I'm like, yeah, you have ADHD. That's a medical circumstance. Shopping is not a medical symptom. It's so true. So we can untangle those two things. It's a good thing. We can untangle them, right? We can still let you have ADHD, but you don't have to be um, like subjugated to 
this, this pattern over and over again yes. for the rest of your life. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm feeling so called out by that last example. That's me, the the ADHD impulse spender. And I, it's it's really a matter of like divorcing. It's not intrinsic to who you are. It's just something that you're doing. It's an action right. you're taking. But our brains look for that proof to prove mm. that belief we have about ourselves is true. So and the medical reason too is like because you have a dopamine deficiency. And so when you when your brain is deficient of dopamine, you're like, how do I get some dopamine? And oftentimes spending is a great way to do that. And it's like, oh, this is just a coping mechanism for a chemical imbalance. And there's tons of different possible coping mechanisms in addition to medication, right? Like, let's put that on the table instead of just saying, I'm an impulse spender. That's true. You know, I think becoming aware of it is is half the battle because yeah. once you are aware of it, you can think, oh, well, you know, I'm feeling that right now. I'm feeling the urge to, you know, buy something impulsively. So what else could I do now that I'm aware right. this is happening? Like what else can I go and do instead of uselessly spending money or, you know, whatever the case is for you? So aside from, you know, obviously everyone listening, you should go get coached by Dina. Go and, you know, because like you said, the outside perspective is is so powerful for helping you identify that. It's so hard to see it in ourselves. Is there anything else we can do aside from getting coaching to like start to find those patterns? I will say it is, I'm going to tell you this and I know it's not like an easy thing for you to just do. Caveat, yeah. So I know that this isn't just like an easy little fix, like a little hack. (laughs) It's not, but just start noticing your brain and how you make decisions. When you're making a financial decision, notice what's happening. What feelings are driving that decision? Was there something that triggered this? Is this a reactionary decision or is this an intentional decision? Especially when it comes to our businesses, right? Like I think that this is um, really, really prevalent in how we decide to invest in our businesses. Oftentimes we'll be like, oh my God, I need this reaction. Or I got a a piece of feedback and someone told me to do this. So I have to go do it reaction versus are you being intentional about what your business needs and what your goals are and what you need to hit your goals, right? Like when it comes time to interface with your financial choices, what's happening in your mind? What thoughts are you thinking? What things do you think are facts and circumstances? What are the feelings driving these decisions? Because all of that is just data. Now we have, if you do that, if you have a notebook full of what were the feelings you were feeling when you made a financial choice, what were the triggers that triggered you to make that choice, what was the thought process behind it, you'll have a book full of data on how your brain works and how you are making decisions. And then you will be able to look at that book and you'll be able to say, I know exactly why I have the financial results I have and I don't have the financial results I want. But like I said, it's not like an easy little tell yourself a mantra every day. No. <laughs> oh, thank you. For saying that. I was like, please, please. Do. And I knew you weren't going to, but I was like, please don't say affirmations. Please I actually, I, I really, um, I'm going to use the word hate, but you know, that's a strong word. I really hate affirmations because affirmations are usually sentences you don't believe. So you're just repeating something you don't believe over and over and over again in order to try to make yourself believe. And your brain is too smart for that. It knows. It knows you don't believe it. And if you do believe it, great. That probably actually is a helpful mantra, if you will, or affirmation. But if you're like, I'm going to be wealthy, I'm going to be wealthy. And you're like, bitch, no, you're not. It's not helpful. (laughs) It's just self-gaslighting. If you love affirmations, like the practice of doing that, here's what I would do. I would sit down and I would ask yourself, honestly, earnestly, what are all the things, 
what are all the things I believe about money that are kind of trash, right? Like I believe I'll never be rich or I believe like I will always be in debt. I believe I will never be able to save. I believe I'll always be stuck in the feast or famine cycle. I believe that I'll never be able to hit 10K months in my business. Like, and it doesn't even have to be like so dramatic, but just what are all the beliefs you have that are like, eh, they're like, I wish I didn't believe that, but I do. So now you have a list. And instead of just saying your the opposite to yourself over and over again, ask yourself for each individual thing on the list. Okay. What is also true? What is also true? If you have the belief, I will never be able to pay off debt. What is also true? What's also true is I have paid off debt in the past. I've all, or I always pay my minimums on time or whatever it is. When you ask yourself what's also true, your brain believes it. Because <laughs> it is. You have proof. Yeah. And as you repeat those things to yourself, they will feel like it's not like a huge leap. It's not like, oh, I, I believe I'll never be able to get out of debt versus I'm going to be debt-free for the rest of my life in two months. Like, whoa, <laughs> you're not there yet. You're not there yet. <laughs> Let's just start with, I've always paid my minimums on time. That's great. Yeah. So yeah, if you like the practice of affirmations, that's how I recommend going about it. It's not as sexy, but it works way better. Oh my gosh. I love this. I think this is the best take on affirmations I've ever heard. So thank you for being the only money coach in the world. <laughs> Doesn't even standing in the mirror and telling yourself I am rich over and over again. I, yeah, that's, it's so good. I think that's lazy coaching. <laughs> we said that. Yeah. <laughs> that's oh. fine. This is, you know what, this is a podcast full of, you know, hot takes and controversial opinions. So you, that was a hot take. <laughs> you can, you can take it or leave it. You know, I think if it works for you, it works for you. Like you said, that's great. If you are an affirmations type of person, awesome. You know, keep doing your thing. But I think the way that you reframe that is really smart because your brain does know like that is true, especially if you are more, you know, like analytical minded yeah. and you really like I really struggle with affirmations because I'm just like, but that's not true. Like I don't have any yeah. proof yet. I'm someone who needs to like see something and have it be tangible to believe it. So I love the reframe. I'm the same. I'm very pragmatic. So I, I can't believe affirmations. It's just a waste of my time. Some people really get into them though. Like, yeah. like for the people who aren't that way, it can really work. Yes. I, Go do your you. thing. I, I say to the yes. people who can honestly stand in front of the mirror and say, I'm going to make a million dollars when you're making 20K a year or whatever. If that works for you, like, go do it. I'm kind of jealous. Like, If you like it, I love it for you. Yes. So good. I love that. Um, what a great note to to start to wrap up on. I could sit here and talk to you all day about all the things. We didn't even get to investing, which I wanted to talk about as well. So we're going to have to do a whole other episode on that. But <laughs> yeah. there's already so much good stuff we covered. And I want to be respectful of your time, even though I could keep you here for hours. So we're going to start to wrap up with our savor and celebrate bonus round. Are you ready? Wahoo. I, I hope so. I looked at them. <laughs> I didn't really... I. I I figured I would create answers on the fly. So that's okay. Make go. it up as you go. No <laughs> pressure. Um, all right. So first question, what's something you're savoring right now? There are a couple things. I will say like probably my favorite category of thing to savor is jewelry. I love my jewelry. I'm really savoring like wearing it and selecting the pieces I want. And I'm um, definitely more of a fine jewelry person. So it's a much higher price point. So it takes me quite a while between like, I'm not buying jewelry all the time. I'm spending years looking for a piece. So I'm like savoring the search, savoring the hunt. I'm really enjoying that. 
Oh, that is such a fun answer. I love that. I want to see all your jewelry. <laughs> Please send I'm wearing send one of them. What are you wearing? Under, I'm wearing, this was my um, oh, that's gorgeous. Birthday, birthday emerald necklace from The Moonstoned on Instagram. Love her, Elizabeth. Um, oh, fun. Because I'm a May baby, so emerald is my birthstone. It, I literally searched for this for two years. That's what I mean. <laughs> Like, that's oh. commitment okay yeah. we will we'll link that uh the instagram page in the show notes for anyone who's curious and wants to see uh the jewelry okay second question what's your favorite way to celebrate champagne i'm i'm bougie can we tell <laughs> i'm bougie <laughs> no um, champagne is my like i could probably stop drinking alcohol but not champagne like i love it oh i love champagne that's like my go-to celebration thing and mm, veuve Clicquot, any day, any day. So good. I was going to ask. It's funny. I am not a huge like wine person. So like I'm a whiskey girl, but when I do drink wine, I'm like, if it's champagne, it's just something so like you feel, you feel the bouginess. Mm. You're like, mm. I, I earned this. We're celebrating Especially, tonight, It has so. to be like a dry one too. No, no sweet. I like, cause you, I'm getting to the age where when I'm drinking champagne now, I can feel the headache happening in <laughs> real time. So I'm like, it's gotta be really good. <laughs> It's going to be a good champagne. Awesome. Okay. And then last question, what's a win you celebrated recently? It can be big, small, business, or personal. Oh, my gosh. Well, we are just surpassing $6 million in collective client savings. $6 million, I have it up, $6,598.41 in less than three years, which is incredible. It's amazing. And we yeah. also don't have a huge... This is not a huge number of people. I think we've had about 150 something people go through this program. So 150 people have saved nearly $6 million, over $6 million, which is huge, insane. I love all of my savings wins. I would say that's like a business one. And then, or that's like a client facing one, I should say. And then a business one is I actually, after this call, I'm heading over to Austin and nine of my clients are flying in for a retreat that we're hosting. And it's like, I would say I did a small little retreat last year that was very low fidelity. This is like fancy. It's basically like a wedding. We have catering. We Will there be champagne? There will be champagne. There will be flowers. There will be food. There's like, there's a venue. There's a, the whole thing. And I think it's just been so fun to go through the process of becoming the person who hosts an event like this. And it really has, I would say it's been a big identity shift to be like, this is so, um, this is so like vulnerable. I'm going to say it. I'm like, I am worth flying across the country to come meet. And that's so fun to just like, I'm really, I'm very excited. So the event is tomorrow. I'm going to savor it as well. <laughs> and uh enjoy oh my gosh yeah hell yes you are we're flying across the country for it. i will <laughs> listen to this one. i won't go to this event um that is incredible <laughs> both of those wins are incredible and you know i just want to say like before we before we wrap up and we tell everyone like where they can go and get in on this i just want to say like you know the work you're doing is so important and i'm so grateful to to you and women like you who are changing this conversation around finances and money especially for entrepreneurs because traditionally you know finance wealth building has been a very 
white dominated, male dominated space. And you are coming here and changing all of the narratives. You're challenging that and opening up this conversation. So I just wanted to to thank you for that and for, for joining me thank today. Thank you for hosting me. This has been so fun. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. Okay. Now, please tell everyone all the details, where they can go, if they want to join your program, if they just want to learn more and connect with you, what's the best place? Yeah. So the hub of it all, you can go to my website, www.ginanox.co. And from there, you can find sales pages for my 12-month program, Six Figure Saver, which will help you save 1000 then 10000 then 100000 in 12 months. That is an amazing group, especially for business finance. You could also find a sales page for my mastermind, Seven Figure Wealth, which is all about building personal wealth outside of your business. So it's kind of like, first you learn how to save in your business, then you learn how to build wealth outside of it. Um, and if you want to hang out, I hang out on Instagram at Gina Knox or my podcast, uh, Save Six Figures with Gina Knox. Awesome. Those are all the places. Yeah. I'll make sure all the links are in the show notes as well. Gina, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Hey, Trailblazer. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you found this episode helpful, would you do me a favor and help spread the word? Share it with a friend, tell your mastermind group, take a screenshot and post it on stories. I'm at copy by Meg on Instagram. If you want to tag me or just come say hi, I would love to hear from you. Until next time, remember, fortune favors the bold, but success favors the stubborn. Keep going, girl. You got this.